Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com, November mailbag edition. That's right, we are in to the November international break and off the back of the October international break, Arsenal won all six games, which was very nice, and clearly looming on the horizon is that Chelsea game at Emirates Stadium on 10th of December, which we hope will be in front of a sold-out crowd, but I think we hope even more that Arsenal win it um, and close the gap at the top to uh, what would just be a goal-difference game. And that that game really, really does feel pivotal for the season. But I think we'll do a podcast focusing on that game specifically next week. Um, Firstly, because I think um, the game itself deserves that. Second of all, I'll be completely honest with you. I've been trying very, very hard not to think about it. (laughs) I'd like to continue that for at least a few days before I torture myself and look into that game a little bit because I think it's going to be an anxious one. But nevertheless, we're here with a November uh, mailbag with your questions, which were sent on Twitter. uh, And delighted to join for the first time is Sebastian from the Pot Shop Pod, not the One Shop Pod. I got that wrong <laughs> when we were talking off mic uh, off from the pot shop pod sebastian thanks so much for joining us thank you for having me pleasure to be here how are you yeah very good thank you very good um I, i've only recently kind of started listening to the pot shop pod but um you know loads of stuff about the men's and the women's teams on there but but really really enjoying it really enjoying having it as part of my rotation so was keen thank to you. get um keen to get one of you guys on um but yeah, should we crack into the reader questions? Let's do it. So reader questions, listener questions, that's the one. <laughs> Although some people might read the audio transcript of the podcast, I'm not sure. As ever, the, the questions um, kind of really fall into some themes. And really neatly, these have fallen into some themes that really, really divide <laughs> into the actual areas of the team. And I think what this shows is just how much change and transition there has been for Arsenal over the last, certainly over the summer, at the end of last season, loads of injuries, loads of new signings. I have to say, before we go into the questions, Sebastian, I mean, personally, I've written a piece about this that's going to go out on our Substack tomorrow, but I'm I'm kind of amazed that people didn't anticipate that Arsenal might be a bit of a slow burn this season, given that they signed five new players, they had all those injuries at the end of last season, given the pre-season with the Champions League qualifiers and all the change that's been in the team. I'm kind of astonished that people didn't think that would have an impact on the early weeks of the season. What's just your been your overall impression of this season so far? And perhaps have you detected... I guess, improvement, a sense of cohesion in the last few weeks? Um, improvement, yeah. Slightly to do also with just a favor- more favorable fixture schedule in general and in comparison with the first few weeks of the season. But yeah, it's it's not just the injuries themselves. It's w- which players have gone out of the team that really should have been the warning signs of that this wasn't going to be an easy transition to make. Losing Leah Williamson, losing Rafaeli, losing uh, Beth Meaden, Vivian Miedema, which we did last season, but sort of 
getting the adequate pieces there to replace them is obviously a hard task. I That should go without saying. Um, I think the first few weeks of the season, the general overview of it is a problem solving in terms of when one piece gets out of the team. And in most cases, that's uh, Noel Maritz considering that's the only player we have in a certain position trying to problem solve that way and also just finding pieces that fit together, forming new relationships and new players coming into the team and sort of putting a mark on themselves, not just the arrivals that came this summer, but also the January people among them, first and foremost, Victoria Palova, who sort of has now fully established herself mm. as a key player in the team. So I think the improvement largely down to new relationships forming within the squad and the issues, yeah, completely forecoming and things that will probably become a lot easier to manage once we fully have established uh, more relationships, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think Arsenal have very much moved from a model of having 11 to 12 players to having 17 yeah. to 18 and and with the players that have come out of the team, I, I think that was always going to take some some time. But um, like I said, the questions really split into the areas of the team. We've had lots about the defence, which I think is understandable. I think it's yeah. it's certainly, um, you know, it's it's correct to say that Arsenal didn't look defensively stable in the early part of the season. I personally think that's improved quite a lot in, in recent weeks. But l let's start with, there's some questions about some individuals here. So we've got two about Leia Cadena, uh, who signed from Barcelona during the summer, and we haven't seen much of her. So uh, Ruse at Ruse CH91, I uh, think you named Cadena as a pivotal signing as she was probably signed to replace Haffer in the left centre-back position. We haven't seen much of her partly due to Injuries, how do you see her place in the team at the moment? Uh, and Arsenal Women Archive at Arsenal W Archive with Lotta and Illestet now appearing to be the established centre back pairing. Where does Kadena stand? So I guess, um, you know, Ars Arsenal in five of the last six WSL games, they've had Illestet and Wooden Moy as the centre back partnership. That does seem to be um, kind of quite established at the moment, anyway. What what do you make of things for Leia Kadena going forward? And maybe did you anticipate like a period of adaption for her, really? Um, I think I've anticipated, sorry, I think I anticipated a sort of adaption period for both her and Illestad. And I think that's been apparent in the first few games of the season. I think with Kadena, her introduction into the team was quite unfortunate. Um, when we look back at the United game, I felt she was quite rusty when she came into the team back then, which was understandable given her lack of preseason and how far she's gone into World Cup. So with her, it should have been about sort of building her up and then the injury coming in there so soon after getting into the team. That's just an unfortunate circumstance. Though I would say she is still in a position where she can fight for her place in the team. I'm not... 100% sold on Illestad and Lothar Wobbenmoy as a centre-back duo. Um, largely down to Illestad, who has stabilised herself, I think, in, over the last two games, but has also shown quite a few signs of weakness in the games prior to that, Leicester especially. Um, so finding a balance between those two is going to be interesting, and I think it's still pretty much an open debate between those two who partners Wobbenmoy, who, yeah, is basically the number one name on the team sheet in terms of the defense. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's still all open for Leia Kadena because one thing that's definitely yeah. going to happen is when Leah Williamson is back and fit um, and ready to play again, she's going to play at right centre-back. No one is taking that off of her. And I do think Illestet was maybe a... I think maybe unfair to say a short-term signing, but was very much looked at as first half of the season. Let's get an experienced player to play there. I don't think, and I don't think this is a criticism of Illustet to say she's not having Leah Williamson's place. So, and Illustet doesn't really play left centre half. So I think we know what's going to happen there. It's the left centre half spot that is very open. I think between Lotta. Um, and Leia Kadena, I think that's going to be the future fight. And as you say, at the moment, Lotta's very, very much the, the the senior player there. I think she's kind of winning that fight. But I also think it kind of stands to reason. Kadena played in the World Cup, went deep in the World Cup, had some injuries. And like she's played for Barcelona for all of her career. It's going to be an adaption. I think we've seen that for a lot of players who've come from the Spanish league who've needed a season or so to get into things. So I, I do, I did kind of anticipate that Kadena might not hit the ground running, but I think we'll see with her. Let's let's stay with um, the questions for the defence. And, and I guess building on what I've just said there, uh, Alistair Wood at Alleyboy82, if the winds are fair and Leah Williamson is able to be fully fit for the last part of the season, which centre-back do you think will partner her assuming we stay with two center backs um who who do you see kind of crystal ball wise because they're all right footers for that left-sided role and i think that's part of what makes it so open yeah i think what's quite telling is a big advantage of having illustrated play in the right center back role um because we've seen lotta play there quite a few times as well in moonlight there is having Lotte just adapt and sort of get comfortable with playing the left center back role continuously. And she really has taken that by the scruff of the neck. And I think it's not really a debate at the moment, at least, that once Leah comes back, and I think it's relatively fanciful to say that's the second part of the season or at the end of the season, I would more look at the start of next season, um, especially considering the positive with the added players we have is that we don't need to rush any of the ACL players back into the team immediately. But yeah, I think start of next season, we are currently and probably long-term looking at Lotta and uh, Leah Williamson as the two starting central defenders. Yeah, definitely. I think Lotta's really come to that age where she she really yep. she wants that now. Um and she's she's really, really got the bit between her teeth. But clearly Kadena is a similar age and World Cup winner, so it's not gonna be easy. But I, I'm with you at the moment. I think there's only really one winner for that role just at the moment. Um I guess building on that, Michael McKay um, asks us how long. This is this is what kind of um, I don't want to sound dismissive when I say this. That's amusing, like because a lot of the questions are about the future of our defence and why's the defence not quite been there. And and I really liked this question because it's how long until Lotta Wubamoy starts getting serious uh, or meaningful minutes for England. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much, how, how kind of closely you follow um, the England national team, but you know we're in a situation now where Millie Bright is out, Leah Williamson is out. It kind of feels like in this kind of block of games that if Lotta doesn't play for England now, like you kind of wonder if it's going to happen for her ever, really. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't follow the England team that much. It must be said, but with the in, with the injuries that 
defense has and generally just the form of individual central defenders in the league. I think Lotta is right at the top at the moment and is deserving of her place in the England team at the moment, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and just a final one here, because I think I think this is kind of interesting. Again, I, I really like doing these episodes because they give me a real gauge for, for what the fan base is kind of thinking. And so I think the defence has really improved um, and, and Arsenal do look more stable. But we had a question from Saar at uh, Saar, I don't know if that's short for Sarah, uh, at Saar X AFC. What do you think is the reason behind our defensive issues? Is it a system problem? Is it purely individual area, er, errors? If you think it is the latter, what is the possible solution? So I, I guess, do you agree that at the moment there are defensive issues? Um and I guess what's your impression been of Arsenal's defensive stability and maybe how that's developed as the season's gone on? If you purely look at the numbers, I don't really think you can talk about a def- about defensive issues as such, considering the amount of goals we concede is completely outsized to the number of expected goals we concede. Um, so what I did a few weeks ago but, uh, for Potshot was look back at most of the goals we concede this season and I would say a good number of those are either A, individual mistakes, i.e. the goal from United against us uh, with D'Angelo. That's an individual mistake. You can't really account for that. A few others as well. There's set-piece issues as well. Uh, Leicester game specifically, a few games before that, which are not really system-based mistakes, but more sort of set-pieces are their own thing entirely. Um, and even when the system itself got broken. There's usually quite a logical explanation for why that is. Again, if we look at back at the Leicester game, where those things were quite telling, that was largely down to Leicester completely focusing on breaking our left, our right-hand side with Katie McKay playing there, who's just not comfortable and not used to, play, to defending in those zones. So it's individual inside a team level, if that makes sense. So the team itself breaks down through individuals either not being completely comfortable in their role, individual mistakes, i.e. Also, I think it was Leicester game as well. I don't know why I'm coming back to that as much, but um, on both goals they scored, there was also a, a, a thing with Sinsberger where she didn't really get out of her goal and stopped. There were ample opportunities to stop crosses and stop cutbacks coming into the box. So it's mostly down to individual situations even within the system breaking down so the system itself is fine i would say and if we look at how much territorial dominance we have in most games that makes sense and that seems like um we're on the right track the numbers backed it up as well with the expected goals against um so i think we're fine in terms of defense and a lot of that is gelling with one another that's number one and just players playing in zones they're not quite comfortable in, which should resolve once Maritz is back into form or uh, Katie McCabe gets just a bit more used to playing right back continuously. Yeah, we've got a question about that later as well, about Katie playing at right back. I, I'm with you. I, th- I think it's mainly to do with gelling, to yeah. be honest. Like when you look at Laura Veenroy to ACL in May, Leah Williamson ACL in April, Hafaeli leaves in the summer, two new centre-backs come in. On top of that, as you say, we're kind of playing Katie at right back by choice quite a bit. Like that's a lot of change. That's a lot of change in the back line. That's essentially three quarters of the back four 
from last season, although there was a bit of a job share arrangement between Maritz and Wienreuter, like wiped out in the space of about a month. Like that's going to have an impact. And when you look at Arsenal at Lyon last season, when Arsenal won 5 1, well, you poke around, you know, under the hood of that. Lyon had big defensive injuries, and even a team that good were completely and utterly derailed by them. So, again, I think it's one of those things I'm kind of astonished that people didn't think that maybe we'd go in a little bit defensively unstable. To be fair, we did mailbags in the summer and so many of the questions were about the defence and the goalkeeper and foreseeing, I guess, like some of these kind of clicking issues. But, you know, I think it is a little bit more settled. But might as well go on to the McCabe question since you brought it up, um, which I didn't have as, as part of necessarily this bit on the defence. But since, since it's there, it's from Ryan uh, McGavock uh, at Ryan McPhysio, uh, regular um, with the mailbags. Do you think Katie at right back is intentional tactically or is it just a case of getting the 11 best players on the pitch in one way or another. She brings a lot to that position, not being able to pop up, not least being able to pop up in unexpected positions, but it doesn't strike me as a long-term plan. What what do you make of McCabe at right back? I wouldn't... I, mm. <laughs> I would say, first of all, that I don't think it's a long-term plan. I think that much is clear. Uh, I think it sort of coincides with a little bit of a drop in form for Noel Maritz and finding solutions for that. Um, there's a tactical benefit, at least, intentional or not, in that when McKay plays there, she usually get goes a bit more inside and even inverts into midfield at times, which is beneficial for us, especially when uh, Victoria Palova plays in the deeper role in midfield, who likes to go up a bit more than maybe Kim Little would normally in those zones. So having someone to backfill there is a tactical benefit, even though... In in the grand scheme of things, I think it does it do more harm than good. I'm I'm not quite sure. It's it's an imperfect solution to problems that are outside of sort of intentionality. I would say. Yeah, definitely. I um, you know some insight. I I guess I have on this. I, I do know that Arsenal have trained with Katie right back since the summer it is something I think when they realised they weren't going to get a right back in the summer one of the kind of alternatives they looked at um, even when she's played at left back she has inverted into midfield um, a fair bit and I think you're right particularly when like Leo Volti and or Kim Little aren't there that, that has some use to Arsenal I do think it's largely a about Katie just being on the pitch. And you look at the other positions she can play, left back, well, Steph Catley's really effective there, left wing, Caitlin Ford's really effective there, right wing, there's Beth Mead and Chloe Lacasse. Like, it's probably the space that's kind of most open. It, it's the only outfield space where there isn't severe competition, basically, is my read on it. I, I'm with you. I, I think Noel looks better with the kind of timeshare arrangement with Laura Wienreuter. And I think both those players have different qualities they bring to the role. And I think those two together is really, really strong because they're, they're, they're very different. Um, I think I, I think if Noel had got injured and we only had Laura Wienreuter, we'd have a similar issue. I think like they're both kind of quite specific profiles. I, I do I don't think it's long term, no. And yeah. I, I am interested to see how this kind of resolves because you 
kind of got to have Katie in the team, but it's kind of, I don't really know where else I'd put her because of the quality of everyone else around, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. I mean, the obvious answer, is, I suppose, would be to do the timeshare thing with Steph Catley again, have those two as sort of an 1A and 1B role sharing situation there, considering there are also different qualities there to be exploited. So I would say the... I would classify it more as having three fullbacks that sort of move into different, no, three fullbacks that offer you different things and Katie being the one that's sort of most comfortable to fill the vacancy left behind by Laura Wienreuter and that's most of it to it and with the consciousness that it's still an imperfect solution. Yeah, definitely. Um, Before we go to a break, let's... Uh, let's address one more question, which kind of surprisingly I, uh, w- was the only question we had about about transfers spe- specifically, and it's from Yana at Yana DW underscore. Do you expect a lot of transfer activity during the winter? The only position I really think we need to improve is right back. Um, let's, before we talk about, maybe I'll take the is it likely part, and maybe if you kind of, would you like to see activity in January, bearing in mind Arsenal have to shift two players, one of them will be Gio, so they'll have to shift one player at least to make way for another player. So there is that element to it. It's hard for Arsenal to add in January because they have to kind of get rid of someone first. But is is there, would you like to see any activity in January? And if so, whereabouts? I think I'm quite comfortable with 90% of the squad. I think this is some of the best depth we've had in ages in terms of just pure quality and adaptability from 1A to 1B in terms of filling a specific profile. So I'm really comfortable with most of it. The only issue, as we've talked about, is right back. And I think that's a sensible issue in that we know that Laura Wienreuter will come back end of the season, start of next season. So it would have to be a short-term loan thing or just a short-term solution in general. So if that's something that can be found in a January window, that's something that would probably help quite a lot. It's alleviated in a a sense considering uh, we're not in a Champions League. So that's meaningful games that are off the calendar. So your, your sort of important games are concentrated a lot more. So the scope for rotation isn't quite so big. So I think you can get away with Katie McCabe and um, Nora Maritz for the season. But if there were to be a sort of perfect short-term solution that fits all parties, that's the only way I would even consider doing something in January, I think. Yeah, definitely. I So I, I think it's kind of unlikely just because of the squad limit. Um, and it means we actively have to take someone out of the team, uh, out of the squad, and kind of on a permanent basis, really. And I don't really think I see who that is. Also, I think we, Arsenal have signed eight players in the last two windows, and that's a lot. And what I really want now, there, there are a couple of positions, certainly. I, I think there could be upgrades. Not sure whether that's doable in January, but, I mean, for me, I want this squad to settle down. 
now. I think yeah. a lot has happened. There's been a lot of turnover. I think as we've discussed, that has led to, we, we've seen that short term, that has an impact. There's a lot of upheaval. I kind of don't want that anymore. I want this squad to settle. I'm largely happy with it. The only way I could see anything happening is I think, I'm not 100%, I think Noel's contract might be up at the end of this season. And if she doesn't want to extend or the club want to move on and maybe there's an in-out situation where she goes and a right-back comes in, I'm not sure how likely that is. And like you say, Laura Wienreuter will come back. If we were going to do anything at right-back, I kind of think it had to be in the summer. Um, I, I think it makes a lot less sense to do it in January just before Wienreuter is coming back. And to your point, like there's no Conti Cup group stage in the second half of the season. Like We're going to be playing once a week, essentially. So it's it's not that urgent. Um, you know, I, I think in the WSL, there's going to be a bit of goalkeeper merry-go-round. Um, I do think Ellie Roebuck will probably move on from Manchester City. Manchester United not in the Champions League. Mary Earp's probably not going to sign a new deal. I don't know if this time they won't want to repeat the mistake they made with Russo and cash in. So uh, whether Arsenal get on that merry-go-round, because Manu Zinsberger's contract is up at the end of this season, definitely. And again, it's just a case of does that shake out in January or the summer? I suspect both of those things are more likely to happen in the summer. And yeah, for me, I, I kind of think they might be the... My aspiration is that those are the only things that happen in the summer and we settle down and get keep this core together with this manager... Um, does that make sense to you? Completely. I 100% agree. I mean, the the January last year was billed as sort of taking the summer transfer window forward. And by extension, the, uh, the summer window was basically filling out the rest of the holes we have and sort of building a squad that is as much of a Jonas team as it ever has been before. So I think, yeah, settling down, getting to basics and getting... We've... It would be sort of nonsensical to talk about gelling and to talk about relationships building and then wanting to completely disrupt things again in January and add new pieces to the pile that need to sort of adapt again. So I'm completely with you on settling down and trying to sort of get those two things done, probably in the summer, I agree, um, and then just building towards the future with the squad you have. Yeah, definitely. And there's going to be some upheaval next season because of Emma Hayes going. And I, yeah. I think that makes next season something Arsenal should really keep an eye on because there's a there's a chance, might not, but there's a chance that Chelsea are going to be weaker somehow um, in the short term. And I think Arsenal have to put themselves in a position to capitalise on that. And for me, that means settling this squad down um, and kind of, uh, yeah, calming things down a bit on that basis. So, We'll take a break there, and after the break, we'll come back uh, with your questions on midfield and the attack, neatly enough. We'll be right back after this. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so we're back in the room and I'm uh, still joined by Sebastian from Potshot Pod uh, taking your questions. We've just addressed the defence and a little bit about what might or might not happen in the January transfer window. So moving very neatly on, we have a lot of questions about midfield as well because I think this has been another fascinating area for Arsenal where for years and years and years it's been Kim Little and Leo Valti. It was for the first block of the season and I think a lot of that was because there was so much disruption everywhere else that Jonas wanted to keep that that double pivot pretty stable. But now we've seen, you know, I think Palova had already arrived, um, shall we say, and now we're seeing Cooney Cross really, really kind of press and make her case and that's, four, five, six really, really big players for three positions. Um, and that's really, really interesting. So let, let's delve into this and let's kind of um, take them one by one. The first question is from Lauren at Lauren J. Jade. Kim and Leah seem like they should be fully fit after the international break. But for me, Cooney Cross and Pullover are virtually undroppable right now. Nice and unheard of for us problem to have. But who would you go with against Chelsea? Um, I think some of that definitely um, plays into whether we play with a back three or a back four against Chelsea, which I'm still undecided on. I think the City game was instructive in a sense in that we stuck to our principles rather than adapting with the back three to them. But Chelsea pose a different threat in some way in terms of them usually attacking with five. So you would probably want to defend with five. So that would speak for the back three. I don't know. What what would your take on that be? I, I think at the moment I'd be inclined to keep the back four. and mm-hmm. But maybe at some point in the game, the back three is something that Jonas pulls out of the bag. And that's not, he doesn't always use that as a defensive move. By the way, it's not always just yep. about protecting the lead. We saw him do it against City last season as more of an attacking move. He did it against Southampton in the Conti Cup. Liverpool was as well was an offensive yeah. move at the Emirates. Exactly. And he said to me the reason he did it against Southampton was because they were pressing so much. He thought that one of the centre-backs could be the spare player going forward and kind of get around the press. So it's not always a defensive move from Jonas to go to that. So I suspect we might see both in different phases of the game, but I think I'd be inclined to stay. I think Jonas prefers to start with the four and move to the three uh, or five, however you want to call it, later in the game if he needs to do that. So I do I do think he'll do that and therefore there will be space for three central midfielders. Let's assume it's three central midfielders. Who, who would your three be? All right. I think... <laughs> <laughs> I think the easiest pick for me would be the 10 
in terms of big games are usually the same in terms of we are a lot more willing to be a lot more vertical. So that would make sense for me to put uh, Freedom on him in the 10 and keep her there, especially considering she's really picked up form over the last two weeks as well. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, the double pivot is the interesting thing for me. Um, I think Pelova is the standout player of the last four or five weeks ever since the international break. And I would say that she's the undroppable one right now. And something that's sort of validating to me, considering I think I really think the deeper midfield role is probably her best role rather than playing in the 10 or out wide. She and thinks she, that. Yeah. <laughs> and that sort of feels like the heir apparent to Kim Little in some ways. So I think she is someone I would definitely start. Cooney Cross has surprised me in how quickly she's adapted to the team. And I think the game against West Ham was her best performance so far in an Arsenal shirt. The only problem I have is that I'm still a bit scared of her defensive positioning in transition and her defensive instincts in general. I do see her more as an 8-6-8 eight, eight rather than a pure 6. So with Pelova there, that's a bit too risky for me and I would probably go Valti, Pelova and Monum in midfield. Interesting. I I think um, the, the, the thing is about this, and, and one of the things I think we're going to have to disabuse ourselves of um, as Arsenal fans is the idea of like real first choices. Listen, every team has totem pole players, really. But I think it's going to depend on what the game plan is because he's stuck with Pullover and Cooney, and Cooney Cross in particular. I'm with you, Pullover, like... Even if it's, say, Volti, Little and Palova, even though I don't think she's best in the... Te- I just think she has to be on the pitch at yeah. the moment. And she's the one where I go, it's her plus two others. And it kind of depends what Jonas wants because they're all so different. And so when he played Cooney Cross against West Ham, that was because he really wanted to attack West Ham's left side. And Cooney Cross is brilliant at that left to right diagonal which Kim and Leah don't give you quite as much and so it, it it was a tactic as much as anything it was I want to do this in this game so Cooney Cross is the best place player to do it and it's so interesting because like Cooney Cross and Pullover as a double pivot gives you so much energy so much burst they're both great at dribbling and driving forward whereas Kim and Leah gives you so much control it's perhaps not quite as um if dynamic is the word, um, but it's perhaps not quite as like rock and roll as as Pelova and Cooney Cross. A youthful exuberance, right? It, exactly, exactly. So it it's going to depend on what Jonas values most in this game. Does he want that calm, controlling kind of presence of of Kim and Leah, as well as their experience in their style, or does he want the two kind of? You know, you put Mornham ahead of them as well, and that's that's another like. D- does he does he want to turn the volume up basically, or does he want to turn the volume down? I think that's what it's going to come down to, and I think every time you look at the Arsenal lineup this season, it's not just about who's playing better, who the manager prefers. We've seen it in the striker uh, kind of role as well. There are games where he wants Blackstenius from the start because there are specific qualities she has that he thinks are suited to the opponent. So I think it's really going to come down to that. Um, 
This question, we've kind of addressed it a little bit, but the Arsenal women blog at the AWFC blog. Uh, Little and Volti are back. Meadham are almost back. Mornham back in form. Who has to sit on the bench to accommodate Victoria Pelova? She's been sensational in the last few games. I mean, maybe we've covered it a little bit there, but I, I guess kind of going forward, is there is there any one player particularly in that midfield trio that you really see kind of losing out to Pullover, let's say over the next 10 to 15 games? I think considering her position and the way she's really nailed down that spot and that spot specifically getting the best out of her specific qualities, I do think the biggest threat is to Kim Little. And that's sort of, wild to say considering how how big of a mainstay she has been over the last few years but it's a sort of profile thing right like you're putting the best players into the best positions and if your best performing player is victoria pullover which has been the case over the last few weeks and she offers you a lot of these same things that kim offers you in terms of ball retention as well as giving you an added physical presence and someone who can just drive with the ball and has a creative through ball that's really, really good. She's probably someone you want to have in her best position and maximize her quality. So yeah, Kim's probably the one who is at the biggest risk. With Leah, the thing with her is just the defensive stability she gives us when she plays. There's no one quite like her in the team, both in terms of on-ball stuff, in terms of build up being a lot better when she is there. That's something that Cooney Cross has been able to sort of take on quite a lot her passing range is excellent both in terms of short passes the the sort of zip she has on it as well as just the switches out which you've mentioned that are just excellent but with with leo velti it's a lot more about the defensive security she gives you in positioning in terms of transition defense which are too crucial and something that i think is still lacking in cooney cross's game which is apparent as someone who's played as an attacking midfielder as a winger at times. So I'm not expecting her to have that. So she's a mainstay. I don't want to see Palova that much in 10, if that makes sense. Hmm. There are opportunities to have her there, especially there's a question we'll come on to where she might be a bit of a solution, but I always come back to maximizing the best players you have. And at the moment, Palova is one of the best players we have, so we should maximize her role. Yeah, definitely. And I, I do see that number 10 spot as more of a fight between Mornham and, and Viv Miedema, yeah. um as well. I, I, think you're, I, I think you're right in the kind of matching. You're looking at Pullover and Kim Little because they're similar players with similar qualities. I think then you're looking at Volti kind of versus Cooney Cross. And, and I think you're right. Those players are actually quite different. So it kind of depends on what you want. Really, and then yeah, Morn and Miedema. I, I think that's kind of similar. Actually, those two players bring very different qualities. Do you want Miedema's like unerring accuracy, being able to hold the ball, being able to pick the pass, or do you want Mornham kind of who's really good if you want to press, for example? So on Sunday against West Ham, Arsenal had a plan to press, so they played Mornham because she's one of the best pressers in the team. So it it, it is going to be quite horses for courses I think but I think this is fascinating because Arsenal have already built the midfield under the midfield but the midfield under the midfield is ready now 
Um, so it's going to be it's, it's a really interesting headache uh, for Jonas Eideval to see how he manages it. And to be fair, we have seen Kim pick up more injuries, I think, yeah. in the last kind of season or two. So being able to manage her minutes further, don't think will be the worst thing in the world. But I kind of think we might see one of Kim or Leah in games and we might see them together a little bit less as the season goes on. But um, we've got a quick, another, and final one on the midfield from Lewis um, about someone we haven't talked about in the midfield because of the level of depth there is uh, at Lewis SJ 13 with our central midfield rotation being deeper than Mariana's trench. Do you think there might be some sense in letting Kathy cool get some consistent WSL minutes on loan in January to a team where she will likely start? And he puts in brackets, hello, West Ham question mark. I mean, we talked about the January transfer win. Window. Someone is going to have to go for someone to come in. Catherine Cool on loan. Is that something you could see happening or something you'd advocate? Of, of course, assuming that all of our central midfielders aren't injured before January the 1st. Yeah. I, th- I mean, we talked about having two players each that sort of complement each other's profile quite well. And that's the big issue that Cool uh, sort of falls behind all those players and terms of seniority and being ready so i think the big question here is how do you get her to be ready and that's a club internal decision whether you want her to stay in the team for the rest of the season get internal development within training within individual coaching and then perhaps in the summer look at uh, kim little's position look at leah valtis position their contractual situations etc and maybe there's a spot opening up there and that's her avenue to get minutes if you don't want to do that and you want to say the biggest development she could get at the, at, in these moments would be by consistent playing minutes then i think alone would be the most sensical thing to do for her um i think she's been great in the minutes she's had so far with the added caveat that all of her minutes have been Conti Cup games, at least the sort of non-neglectable minutes have been Conti Cup games, where the level isn't quite the same as in the WSL minutes we've had so far. So I think it'll all come down to club decision on whether the individual work with her is more important or just her getting minutes now to develop further. And that's something where the info is probably with the club first and foremost. Yeah, I, I don't have any insight on that at the moment. I Personally, I'd like to see her go on loan. I know Jonas said something to me last summer when I asked him about Gio going out on loan and he said Gio's been used to playing because she'd been at Levante and she'd started every game. And he said, when you have a young player who's used to playing, it's kind of best to keep them playing. Um, and actually, I draw a parallel here to like Sambi Lakonga in the men's team mm. who's playing yeah. at Andelect, captain, and then he comes into a situation where he's not anymore and I kind of don't think it works. I, I have like a, a more a, a broader theory that youth projects kind of don't really work in women's football at the moment. Maybe that's about to change, but I do kind of think some of these talents can just go a bit stale on you. I, I'd like to see her go on loan. Um, I think West Ham would be great. It looks like they're going to get Katrina Gorey in, um, you know, partnering with her. I think that would be great or something or something where maybe she can stay in London and still have that kind of contact with Arsenal and contact with her teammates because the second half of the season, like I said, there's not even a Conti Cup group stage. So, yep. you know, you're looking at maybe the FA Cup fourth round 
And that's that's just like this first half of the season hasn't been enough for her. That's certainly not going to be enough for her. So I'd I'd like to see her. I yeah, like West Ham. I think would be great, like a London club where she'd play, keep that kind of contact with Arsenal, and let's kind of reassess in the summer because she is a hell of a talent, and I definitely yeah. don't want to lose her. But we could lose her by not losing her, if that makes sense. So personally, I'd really like to see her go on loan in January. I do wonder whether that will happen. Um, I wouldn't be that surprised, but we'll see. So I that's think the that midfield. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the that's the midfield. A lot of questions about the attack as well, because I, I do think this has been an adjustment for Arsenal to go from a striker like Stina Blackstenius to a striker like Alessia Russo, who does so much work away from the box. And I, I do think that has been an adjustment for her and for Arsenal. Um, and it's maybe why Arsenal haven't looked as dangerous going forward so far this season as both those you know, the team and the player get used to one another. So, again, a good gauge here because we've had a few questions about this, but Max at Max underscore Rads. We all know that Russo excels at dropping deep. Jonas talked about needing to get her into more goal-scoring positions. She's only averaged 4.53 touches in the box per 90 in the season, ranking ninth in the Arsenal squad. How do we remedy this? Um, on that theme unbiased Arsenal at unbiased Arsenal can Russo help herself and the 10 behind her by you know getting out of the way you don't have to pick up the ball on the halfway line every time and a G at style girl Mia 23 Russo seems to have the license to drop deep and be a playmaker she's considered more of a nine with England how will this style affect her being England's number nine um, as long term England's number 10 spot is also very competitive um, so I guess Broadly, all of those questions are about Russo dropping deep and how, whether that's the right thing to keep doing, whether Arsenal ask her to stay higher a bit more, whether Arsenal get runners in behind her a bit more. What, what do you make of the kind of, it's a luxury conundrum, but the Russo conundrum nonetheless? Yeah, the numbers are actually surprising to me. I, I got that she didn't have that many touches in the box, but ninth in the squad is lower than I probably expected her to be, to be honest. Um, you're right, it's a luxury conundrum in so far that she's so good at doing what she's doing outside of the box. So I think some of the issues with that is sort of her having to do it at points through the players around her not having the same connectivity as others. So for example, if she plays with Frida Monum, Frida's a more running behind player, not that much of a ball to feed player. So she sort of compensates for that by dropping deeper and getting in there. Um, so there could be a solution there in there in playing players that are more ball to feed with her. Um, I.e. Uh, Victoria Palova would be an option there. That's what I mentioned before in that that could be a role to have her there just to offer that connectivity. Granted, it's not her best role, but it's a role she can certainly fulfill. Um, the best of both world option is probably Viv Miedema coming back into the team. I'm really interested to see those two sort of getting to grips with one another and building a relationship because that combination offers you both Russo dropping, having runners in behind with Beth Mead coming back, with, uh, with Ford being there, as well as Viv sort of getting upon her and get, getting into that nine space, as well as having 
Russo stay higher up and not losing that connectivity and having someone who is as good dropping deep and coming back as uh, as Russo is. I would also say that I think one thing that's clear is that she's not a 10. I think there's a big difference between dropping into deeper spaces and constantly being there. Quite logically, you're less marked when you drop as you're probably taking someone with you, but not being in a position where you're constantly marked by the same player. So I think the option Blackstinius Russo is imperfect in a sense. It it makes sense to have your best players on the team, but what you're also losing in that situation is having starters and finishers and something that Jonas has talked about quite a lot, right? So Stina specifically offers you such value in coming on later in games and sort of changing the tempo and getting at more tired legs, which is a benefit that you would lose by playing them together. So I think the biggest remedy will be finding a partner with her to sort of find the relationships of when it makes the most sense for her to drop, when it makes the most sense for her to stay up and sort of build those dynamics with a settled partner. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's all really interesting. And Jonas talked about getting her in the box more as well because he talked about how good a finisher she is, yeah. and you can see that like in the air she's such a threat as well, and she's she's just got a real variety of finishes. Like when like that goal against Leicester, the way she tucks yeah. that away is just absolutely superb, and you kind of think. Yeah, I want to see you a bit more there. and Because we used to have this under Joe where Viv Miedema would drop a little bit, but then you'd have Daniela Vanderdonk and Jordan Nobbs running in behind. And we perhaps don't have those running in behind players, but I do think Beth Mead will make a difference there yeah. um, as someone to go and fill the penalty area and someone who quite instinctively makes those runs anyway. Um, I think we could ask Caitlin Ford to do more of that as well. So I'm with you. I don't think it's insurmountable. I think it's a kind of tweaking thing. And I'm also with you. Like I like Black Stenius and Russo together, but like not on a permanent basis. I think it works some game states against some, t- like I think it worked against Brighton, Yeah, but, and, and maybe against Manchester United as well when Russo was a bit wider. But yeah, I, I think it is just a case of getting some of those some of those players to really appreciate who and what they're playing with. But I do think there is a bit of an onus on Russo to get into the box as well. Um, forgive me, there's a bit of conversation going on in the background <laughs> in my house, uh, neighbour knocking on the door. Um Another one, I guess that, that I'd file as under the attack, um, Caroline at iron underscore line 81. It seems a lot of fluidity has been lost this season, even down to simple passages of play. I know some can be attributed to new players, but overall it seems the way we play is changing. Do you think that's an intentional identity shift or just circumstance? It's interesting. I think I've not really noticed a big shift in how we're systematically playing. I think some of the issues are down to build up and that's simply attributed to having inferior build up players than Rafael uh, and Leah Williamson, which is, is a high bite, <laughs> a high bar to climb. Um, and I think the the fundamental term here, fluidity is, the system itself doesn't offer you fluidity. No system really offers you fluidity in and of itself. The fluidity comes from players having the onus of themselves to create fluidity and create movement by themselves. And with that, the 
comebacks of Beth Mead, Vivian Aminaba, having players that understand how to play with one another and that have the individual quality to break games and sort of create fluidity in and of itself. That's the big margin of improvement that's yet to be seen. Yeah, definitely. Jonas used a phrase with me, I think, after the Villa game that stuck in my head where he said, um, we look better when there's energy in yeah. the game. And, and I think that that's the phrase with that Jonas. Lester, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he said something very similar after Leicester, yeah. In fact, at Leicester, I asked him the question because I asked oh, him, okay. I said, you said after the game that there was the Arsenal look better when there's energy in the game. And and I think that's more what it is. Like, Jonas Eideval's football is not about accuracy. It's not about kind of one-twos. And it's, it's not Joe Montemoro football. It's get the ball into areas, counter-press, press, make life difficult, take shots, take difficult actions. Like it, it's not about, it's not about, it's more about territory, I think. And I think that's the kind of thing. And I think at the beginning of the season, when you looked at some of the data around how long it was taking Arsenal to get the ball into the final third. And like you say, a lot of that is just down to, if you have Leah Williamson, the ball, the ball tends to travel into the final third quite a bit quicker and it's taken Arsenal some time. So I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't really think fluidity is what Arsenal are searching for. It's energy. It's a little yeah. bit of chaos and, and we're trying to do it with more players now. And the phrase Jonas used with me last week when I asked him about working with a bigger squad and he quoted a proverb, uh, which I really liked, which was, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So he was talking about it, it's going to be slower, but we'll be better for it kind of thing. So I, I'm with you. I, I don't think I've seen like a change in structure. It's been more, more player led, um, I think, yeah. if that makes sense. I also find it interesting that you mentioned the speed by which we get up the field. And sort of, if you think about how Arsenal build out from the buildup, it's usually central defenders getting into wide positions and wide combinations to get forward. And if you think about the biggest changes we've had in the squad is both central defenders being out, a winger being having an ACL injury, new wingers coming in. The only area that is has been stable over the last 12 months is midfield and that's sort of the least important bit of build-up play for Arsenal and more of a counter-pressing measure and therein lies the biggest issues we've had in terms of the speed of play and sort of the fluidity issues as such if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And Kim Little and Leah Volti, they're they're much more they're, they're more considered players yeah. as well and actually that's one of the, the real qualities they bring that kind of calmness and but that doesn't necessarily help you get the ball from kind of b to c quite as quickly so i i think there are a lot of different things going on and and a lot of it will come out in the wash in the future um th a final question we we always get questions um about <clears throat> kind of attendances about fans we've seen this real kind of burgeoning fan culture at arsenal it looks like there's a good chance that the next game they're going to play is going to be in the sold out emirates stadium so we always get questions about you know i guess the divergence between 4000 capacity meadow park and 60000 emirates stadium and the big kind of differences between those and uh, kp at kpunch15 do you think we've seen enough attendances to warrant a permanent move to the emirates for home games next season or do you think that's too soon uh, to make that commitment I, I guess i can put across some of what i kind of know um about this but 
what's kind of your impression of where Arsenal are at at the moment in terms of having this big divergence between these two very different home grounds and and where this is all sitting at the moment? Yeah, I'm probably the worst person to ask considering my location is quite far from England. Uh, I live in Germany, so I don't have that sort of innate feeling of being in the ground and how that sort of, there's a sort of metaphysical level of interconnectivity that sort of gets lost on you if you only watch it through the screen. So that's hard to gauge. I think it's an interesting thing to ask players about if there, if the contrast between playing in your usual environment, as it were, in the place where you're familiar most of all with people that you probably have met because there's only 4,000 of them and sort of that atmosphere to then go into the Emirates a lot more this season as well how that contrast works out for them on pitch and what their preference is. There's probably people that would say the preference of having the sort of familiar, familiar, not familiar, you know what I mean? A family atmosphere, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Familiar. Um, yeah. Yeah. is something that they would want to hold on to. So I think it's a lot down to the players. I think there's scope for it to, for a transition to the Emirates to be a real thing. I mean, what really, impressed me in that regard was the attendance for the Villa game as something that wasn't completely advertised as the Liverpool game was or as the Wolfsburg game was. To have that much of a crowd there is a big indicator of that. There's some uh, logistical things that I'm not quite sure of, but that's basically just for me not having the relevant information and how scheduling would work with the men's games and probably not wanting to use the same pitch on two different days or on the same day as well. So there's logistical things that I'm just not sure of, but I think it's a feasible thing. But I think the voices that really matter here are just the voices of the players and where they, where their preferences lie and where their sort of own feeling lies. Yeah, and that, that shifted a lot over the years, actually. One of the reasons Arsenal used to be a, a bit... Um, kind of reluctant to use the Emirates was because a lot of the players were like, well, a 60,000 stadium with 3,000 people in it, that's that's not fantastic. And we've got, you know, our home at Meadow Park. And it, it's, it's still a similar thing, though. Meadow Park is packed. It's really intimate. Everyone knows all the songs and everything like that. And obviously the Emirates is slightly different. I, I guess from a logistical point of view, Arsenal's deal with Boreham Wood runs until 2027. I don't anticipate anything happening um, before then, other than the current model of kind of sharing the games. I mean, don't get me wrong, if it became urgent, I think Arsenal could buy Boreham Wood out of that deal um, quite easily. And Boreham Wood have made loads of um, upgrades to the ground as well. There's a bar in there this season with, you know, entertainment and things like that. So they've used the money to make it a better environment, new dressing rooms, new stands and all of that. So, I, I, And I think logistically, like you say, with the men's games and everything like that, that's very difficult. I think it, I think it would be too soon. Um, but I, I see this sharing model continuing. Um, and that's been another adjustment for the players as well, by the way, over the last kind of season or so, that they've got two different home grounds now basically and that's that's an adjustment in the environment and I, and I think they'll get used to that increasingly unfortunately an interim solution just doesn't exist because the land does not exist in London let alone North London and uh, I think Jonas made this point very well the other week even if Arsenal could build an interim stadium but what on earth would the size of it be 
because Man City have a 7,000 stadium, which 10 years ago when they built it looked great, but now it looks too small. And Chelsea bought Kings Meadow five years ago, four and a half thousand, looked a great decision at the time. Now it looks too small. Like we don't know where this is all going and where the needle is going to settle on attendances. So I think Arsenal are going to stay in this pattern where it's going to go from 4,000 to 60,000 um, for a little while. But 2027 is basically the date to look at because that's when the deal with Boreham runs out and that would have to be renegotiated and probably in a different way as well because even if Arsenal wanted to extend it, wouldn't be for 10 years. They wouldn't want to use it as often. So... Some things to keep an eye on there, but basically, logistically, I, I think there's no chance of it happening next season. So we'll see. But nevertheless, hopefully, um, we'll get a sellout against Chelsea. I believe tickets for the Manchester United game in February are just about to go on sale as well. So hopefully we can push towards that as well. And more importantly, get three points in those games. But Sebastian, it's been a real pleasure. Um, thanks so much for kind of coming on um, and with your insights and everything like that. And like I said, Sebastian is on the Pot Shop pod as well, um, dealing with the Arsenal kind of men's and women's teams. Um, so a real pleasure to have you on and we'll have you on again soon. Pleasure to be on. Thank you very much, Tim. Thanks very much to Sebastian. We will come back with another episode next week, looking ahead specifically to that Chelsea game at Emirates Stadium on Sunday, December the 10th, which I am still trying not to think about because <laughs> I think it would just give me a migraine at this stage. But at some point, I'm going to have to, is it, is, you know, I'm going to have to address it at some point. It's like booking that GP appointment. It's, it's going to have to be done for my long-term health. So uh, we'll have a, we'll have an episode previewing that out next week. Um, but until then, thanks so much for listening and downloading and we will speak to you again next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.